I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. We want to pick up this story where we left off. Um, I, instead of starting at the beginning, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. We'll read from verse 12 down to verse 29. Genesis chapter 19. It says, Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and everyone you have here in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Now at the breaking of dawn, the angel urged a lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of, this, of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters. For the compassion of Yahweh was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now it happened as they brought him out. One said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains lest you be swept away. But Lot said, to them, oh no, my lords, now behold, I have, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown to shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to and it is small Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life might be preserved? And he said to them, and he said to him, behold, I grant you this request also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor and the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. And Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from heaven out of the fire from Yahweh out of the heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the valley and all of the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. And then he then his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the furnace, like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it happened when God destroyed the city of the valleys that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city in which Lot lived. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. 
Thank you for just the blessing that our heart has received. Just been singing praises to you this morning. Now, Lord, may our hearts be blessed from your word. May we glean things that would change our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As believers, we are, we are in contrast to this world. We, uh, we do not belong in this world. We, we live in a world in which we do not belong. Now think about that. We were created for heaven. We have been born again into a spiritual realm for heaven. We belong in a perfect environment. And the only transition that needs to happen is for this body to be put away. This body to be transformed and changed. And that will happen at death or, or rapture as we go up in the air. So even though our God is the creator of this universe, and even though we are in the image of God, and we have been given dominion over this earth as men and women, and we can sing, this is my father's world, we are the ones who are out of place. Just think about that. We're out of place. Satan has usurped man's dominion and is leading man through deception and through lies uh, into a deeper and deeper rebellion against God. So therefore, we are foreigners in a strange land. Even though we're servants of God, this is His universe, we don't belong here. We belong in heaven. So the believers then, you, if you're a believer, you're a minority. You're in the small remnant. You're on the narrow path, not the broad road that millions go down. And we will always be the minority. We will always be... Uh, we will always have that threat of, of persecution. We will always live among unprincipled men, as Peter says it. And we have to deal with that. We have to learn to deal with that until we get to heaven, until our bodies have been changed. We have to deal with uh, living among sinful people in a sinful land until we get to heaven, until we get home. Until we're in our natural environment with our Heavenly Father. Until this body is, until we're freed from the sinfulness of this body. And, and until then, we, we yearn for heaven and home. And so the believer's life really is in sharp contrast, in sharp contrast to this world and this world system, because it's under the control of Satan. Now, Lot, this story that we've just been looking at really for the past few weeks, Lot's in the belly of the beast here. Sodom and Gomorrah, the very city that, that God, out of the, all of the cities of the world at this time, this is the city that God has said, this city must be destroyed. And this, Lot's living in this city. And in Lot's life is in contrast to the men of the Sodom of uh, the city of Sodom. He is a righteous man, according to Peter. Peter points out that he is convicted because he sees the unrighteousness of unprincipled men. He's convicted every day. I, I think also we need to keep in mind verse 16. It says, for the compassion of Yahweh was upon, upon Lot. And so 
God rescues him out of this city. He is a he is one of God's chosen people and he's been redeemed and rescued out of this city. And that's the description that we see in verse 29. Now, we have to keep in mind another thing we have to keep in mind here is that Moses is writing this to the children of Israel and he's introducing Lot. This is Abraham's uh, nephew here. And the focus really is not so much on Lot as it is upon Abraham and God's grace upon Abraham to be gracious to his family. And it's pointing out also Abraham's concern for the city of Sodom. And he pleads with God. In fact, uh, God came down and gave opportunity for Abraham to plead with him for the mercy of this city. But it really turns into then a rescue operation. But another thing that we need to notice about this passage is that this theologically, the focus of this passage is upon sin. The focus is upon the sinfulness of man, so much so that God has decided to just wipe this city completely off the, the map. This is a good illustration for us then to notice the power of sin, the grip that sin has upon mankind and and how sin enslaves the unbeliever, captures him, forces him to do what it wants him to do, enslaves him. It's like a ball and chain or it's like handcuffs. But now for the believer, those handcuffs have been taken off. Those chains have been gone. They're detached. They're free. And all that's left is just influence. Influence and allure. And I want you to see that. Because the main principle is this. That sin is much more enslaving than we, than we realize. Than we recognize. It's much more enslaving. It grips us so much tighter than we think. And it is not something that the believer should play around with. So not something for the believer at all. Now, we've seen six, uh, that there are six different scenes in this uh, account of Lot's rescue here. And we've looked at the first four. The, the first one was at the city gates. The scene is at the city gates. And we saw Lot's hospitality, where these two men come into the city. Uh, and Lot senses the urgency to get them out of the public eye because Lot knows the grip of sin on this City. It knows, he knows the nightlife. He knows the routine. He knows what's going to happen. This restlessness of sin that, that just grips them night after night after night, uh, that it has on this city. Number two, the scene, second scene is we see outside of Lot's house. Uh, just before bed, the men of Sodom come and surround the house. And we see the sin of Sodom, and it verifies the wickedness of the sin, that the the uh, city definitely needs to be destroyed. The men of Sodom surround the house, demand these two men be brought out to them so that they may know them, is the biblical term, force their self on them. These two angels then strike them, those men, with blindness, 
But what do they do? Do they just give up and go home? No, they're still groping around for the door. And that shows us that the power and the grip that lust has upon mankind. And the sin of Sodom is the sin of homosexuality. And the scene number three is back at Lot's family. And we see a conversation between Lot and his uh, sons-in-law. And it's a, essentially a failed rescue attempt. And Lot's sons-in-law, the potential son-in-law or for, uh, for Lot, they just treat Lot's words as just as a, as a joke. He could not convince them. He had very little to, to no influence. And he has no gravitas, we would use that term. No, no weight to his words. No real influence that there. And sin has the most power, and we see the grip of sin most powerfully when, we, when sin is not taken seriously, don't we? You see that, that grip when it's deceptive, so deceptive that we don't, even, we don't even take it seriously. Now that causes us to ask the question, is what kind of, what kind of family dynamic does Lot have here? Just kind of a party atmosphere, just kind of jovial. Everything's just a, a joke. Maybe the, the culture of the city, maybe a, a spring breakish kind of atmosphere that you would see maybe on a college campus. And then we look at scene number four, and you see it again back at Lot's house. Inside Lot's house in the morning. So they slept that night. The next morning they, they're woken up by these two angels, and essentially it's a forced removal of Lot and his family from that city. We see this in verse 15 to 22. Abraham had pleaded for Lot before God. God had shown compassion on Lot. And these angels are here having to pull Lot out of the city. And it says, but Lot hesitated. But Lot hesitated. And again, we see the grip of sin. It's not handcuffs. It's not a ball and chain, but it's there with temptation, with an allure, with an attraction of, of some kind, maybe like a, a weak magnet, but there's some attraction of Lot that, that Lot has to this city. We see again the grip of, of sin and a flirtation with Sodom. And, and that desire, that flirtation holds Lot in this dangerous place. And he's putting his family in a dangerous place. Now, there's nothing wrong with Lot being in Sodom, but it's a matter of Sodom being influencing Lot, being in Lot. There's nothing wrong with Lot being in Sodom, but Sodom being in Lot is wrong. And it asks, we ask the question, the major question is, how can a Christian, how can a Christian still be drawn to sin even after the heart has been changed. Now, we know that struggle, don't we? As believers, we know that struggle. We know that struggle of, of trying to put off sin and renew our mind and put on uh, the righteousness. We know that struggle, but it's hard because there's an allure, isn't there? There's a draw that the world has. That we have to be very, very careful for. Now, scene number five. Scene number five is a panoramic view. It's a panoramic view of the whole valley. And we see what we see here is God's wrath. 
the unleashing of God's judgment upon this city. Look at verse 23. Then the sun risen. Uh, then the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. And Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. Let's just stop there for a second. This is this is an amazing scene. Fire coming down out of heaven. That's sobering, folks. That's sobering. Fire and brimstone. Brimstone would be like a lava, sulfur burning, kind of a, a lava type thing. And it's divine judgment. Now, the best archaeologists say that the location of this, Sodom and Gomorrah, would have been the southern part of the Dead Sea. There's a peninsula that goes jets into the, into the sea. It's uh, the Lysen Peninsula. And they say that this is probably where this was. And they know that there is um, uh, some combustible sulfur that's there. And they say that there's probably a secondary cause here. Maybe a volcanic eruption or some electric storm that com- that, that, that combusted with this sulfur. Uh, or, or during this earthquake, the, the gas kind of seeps out of the ground and causes this ignition and, and catches on fire. But the text says, clearly says, that it came from where? Heaven. From God Himself. This is a, a supernatural event. There's no secondary cause here. And it scorches everything. Verse 25. It says, And He overthrew those cities, and all of the valley, and all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. Everything. Scorched it all. In fact, it kind of reminds us of Isaiah chapter 34, verses 9 and 10, where it talks about the lake of fire. It's a continuous burning. It's just a, a, like a, a lava that's just constantly on, on flame. It's a supernatural event here. And we see God's wrath. And that's a scary thing. That should scare us. That should sober us up. This is alarming. This is this is red flags. In fact, remember what I said, that this passage is used throughout Scripture as a red flag, as a warning sign. Do not be like Sodom. It's a warning of sinfulness. Now, it's hard for us to see it. It's hard for us to think about God being so angry at man that He would unleash fire from heaven and consume a whole city. It's hard for us to think about that. We, we like to think about God of love but we have to face the fact that uh, the wrath, wrath is a, an attribute of God. And we see the glory of God through His attributes. And this glory of God has to include His wrath. We sing about the uh, great is thy faithfulness, the attribute of God's faithfulness. We sing about amazing grace. Do we ever, it's not very many songs about the wrath of God. The amazing wrath of God. But folks, that's what it is. Now, to understand God's wrath, we have to understand a couple of things. Number one, we have to understand sin, right? We have to understand how sinful man is. If you turn back just one chapter, in chapter 18, verse 20, it says this. So Yahweh said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin, and that's what it is, the sin is exceedingly grave. 
sin is exceedingly great. It, it is because of sin that has just become an, an outcry to, to God's ears. And, and that would be like fingernails on a chalkboard, just grating. The amount of their sin, the seriousness of their sin, the hardness of their heart has hit a, an all new low. And God says, enough. I, I don't want the noise. Stop the noise. Destroy the city. That's the second thing that we have to know is we have to understand. You have to understand to understand God's grace. We have to understand the significance of God's holiness. So that's man's sin. God destroyed Sodom because of sin. And he had to do so because he was holy. He's a holy God. And being a holy God, he cannot allow even one sin to be unrecognized, to be unpunished. Now, we, all we have to do is go back to the Garden of Eden for that, right? One disobedient act from Adam and Eve, one act of rebellion, was all it took, and God noticed it. That did not go unnoticed by His holiness. His holiness demanded, there's sin here. There's rebellion in the camp. And that one act of, of sin, of Adam's sin, brought a curse upon the earth. It plunged the whole race, whole human race, into slavery to sin, into separation from God. Then everything turned on that one decision that Adam and Eve made. That one sin, and it became like an irritation. God's holiness just screams out. Do something about this. It would be like, it would be like an itch. Maybe a small little thing, and you just you scratch it, and then it kind of inflames. It gets a little bit more itchy. And and it just irritates and irritates and irritates. And it begins to spread. That's what God's holiness would would demand. Do something about this sinfulness. Now, so it's no surprise then, verse 26, that we see that God destroys uh, everything. But it might be shocking for us to read verse 26. Then his wife, Lot's wife, uh, from behind him. So Lot was leading the way. He, she was behind him. And she what? Looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. We even see God's judgment on that one sin. That one sin. God cannot allow one sin to be unpunished. She became a, a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know what that looks like. But, but it's kind of scary to me. That, that's extraordinary. That God would not tolerate this one sin. But that's judgment. That's God's judgment. And she was disobedient. We see the grip of sin in her life. Maybe not handcuffs. But she looked back. And the word look back there indicates a longing or a lingering look. A longing after kind of look. It wasn't just a glance. It was a. It was a long look and she seemed to identify maybe with those people. Maybe she was from Sodom. Maybe she was uh, just thinking about all of the, the good times. Maybe sentimental look. Maybe it was a nostalgic look. Looking back at the, the good old days. Or maybe all of the things that she lost. I mean, they, they, they had great wealth. Lot and his wife. And they lost it all. 
Maybe it's, she's thinking about her loved ones. Maybe she's thinking about all of the fun that she had. There, there was some lure there. And she disregarded the, the warning from the angel. Now, that's surprising. But I think what's more surprising is you would think that she would hate this city. Think about that. You would think that she would hate this city. She would remember the sinfulness of this city. That they rejected God. They, you, she would remember the, the ingratitude of these people. Just, just the night before, her daughters would have been raped if it wasn't for those two, two angels. And you would think that she would be glad that, that God was sweeping away the dirt off of his universe. Getting rid of this sinful cry that's just bombarding his ears. And wiping away the cobwebs of his universe. It's easy for us to look back though. We can identify with Lot's wife. It would be easy to look back. What causes you to, to think back and, and to, to dwell? Man, I wish I could have been, I wish I could have done this in my sinful days. Sin has a, a way of creating an environment that's fun, that's alluring to us when we, we look back. So what do we do about that? What do we do with that? When, when, when we have this urge, when we, we sense this desire to, to look back and, and think, man, those were the good old days. And they weren't. I want us to be reminded, look back at Genesis chapter 13. I want you to see this. This is important for your Christian life. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 10. This is where it all started. Then Lot lifted up his eyes. And saw the valley of the Jordan. That's what he, he looked at. He just started, just started looking around. Oh wow, I have this opportunity. He starts to look around. This was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of Yahweh. Man, this is amazing stuff. Like the land of, of Egypt. Verse 11. So... Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan. And Lot sojourned eastward. He, he, he kept looking, kept pursuing, kept uh, focus right ahead of him. Um, thus they separated Abraham and Lot. And it says they moved, he moved his tent, verse 12, he moved his tent as far as Sodom. He, he looked at Sodom. That was his focus. That's where he went. And then by the time he gets to chapter 14, he is living in Sodom. That's what, that's where his focus was. So, so naturally, that's where he's going to wind up. You say, well, well, what do we do about this when we, when we, um, have these desires to look back? I want you to turn over to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. This is, this is so good for us to understand. We have to stop it where it started. It started for Lot looking at Sodom and being drawn to Sodom. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that's if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, if you identify with Christ, keep seeking the things above. How do we seek? We look. We focus. Keep seeking the things above. Above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And then he says verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. So focus. 
Focus your attention, your eyes on the things above where Christ is seated, not where? On the things of the earth. We stop looking at the earth. We stop looking at this world, this world's system. And we look at at God, we begin to to put things off. Verse 5, therefore consider the members of your body to be dead. This world is, is dead to me. I'm focused on Christ. I'm focused on God. That's where my uh, vision is. Verse 8. Well, verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Have that kind of thinking going on in your mind. Verse 8. And now, or but now, you also lay aside. Lay aside wrath and anger and malice. All of those things. Verse 10. And put on the new man. It's a matter of focus, isn't it? If we begin to focus on this world, this world's goods, this world's fun, this world's attraction, that's where we're going to gravitate. But Paul says, keep seeking the things of my, uh, above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the It's a matter of focus, folks. It's a matter of focus. And that's what we do. We, we see in this scene Back in Genesis chapter 19, we see this scene of God's wrath pouring down because of man's sinfulness. And Lot was just caught up right there. And it held him in this dangerous, dangerous spot. And his wife paid the price. She lingered. She looked back. Folks, it's a warning sign for us. Scene number six. We see at the edge of the valley... This is in verse 27. We see Abraham, faithful Abraham, in verse, I'm sorry, verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and he went to the place where he saw, he had stood before Yahweh. Now that's where it all started, right? He had walked uh, with God and the two angels to the edge there as they were, they were going down over the mountain and going into Sodom. He, he stood there at the edge there and, and looked out. And he talked with God there. There's where he pleaded with God for the, the, to save that city. Even if there's just ten, save that, save that city. And he pleaded with God. That's where it all started. And, and that's the, kind of the focus here, isn't it? This is the, the place where Abraham, maybe, maybe he would go there to pray. And just continue to pray for Lot and his family. And the ending of this story is the place where it all started. Faithful Abraham. Abraham, he looks over and he sees God's wrath being poured down. He sees the smoke going up. The, the judgment of God being unleashed. He, know, he knew that the city needed to be destroyed. But what he didn't know, that he didn't know that God had rescued Lot out of that city. He didn't know that at this time, maybe. And he he had to trust the Lord. Because God knew Abraham's wishes. He knew Abraham's desires, that longing to to have Lot uh, rescued and and not uh, be destroyed in this city. Things got complicated for Abraham. Just like us, folks. Just because things get complicated, because of sin, sin complicates things. And we look around at this, at this world, look around at this earth, and, and sometimes it's hard for us 
to, to know even how to pray. We get confused. Our mind gets muddled in our, our thinking. But it doesn't mean that we don't pray. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. But that's, that's exactly where Abraham went. He went to the place and he saw what was happening there. In verse 28, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley and he saw. And behold, the smoke of the land went up like a furnace. Like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it happened when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham's plea. Remembered that discussion, that conversation about Lot or about Lot's, uh, the city that Lot lived in. So Lot was rescued out of that. Sometimes we look around and we think, how do we pray? How do we even articulate, Lord, what to do? How, how do you untangle this sinful mess? Should we even pray? And we remember that in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, all things work together for good. The Lord knows the desires of our heart, folks. He knows where we live. He knows the sinfulness of this, of this place. We look around at America. Sometimes we don't even have to look at America. We just look at our own family and we think, Oh Lord, this is so complicated, so confusing. How do I articulate even what to say? But the Lord knows the desires of our heart. He knows what needs to be done. He knows the right thing to do, even when we can't articulate it. And He'll do it. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And the Lord knows these things. Now, there's a principle here that I want us to know. For God's children to plead with God is no threat to God's will. Now, think about that. Sometimes we, we're conflicted. We don't know the will of God, so we don't know how to pray. But, but that's the, the principle. For God's children to plead with God, to beg with God. And we sometimes think, oh, I'm going to mess up God's will. There's no way you're going to mess up God's will. God's, God's will is sovereign. There's no threat of us messing up God's will. You just threw, sometimes we throw up our hands and just say, God's going to do what He's going to do. No. No, He begs us. He pleads with us. Pray. Pray to Him. Ask whatever you wish. It's not a threat to God's sovereignty. He is so much in control. He is so powerful that He can rescue Lot. Just Lot and his, essentially his two daughters, his wife, out of this city. The city of sinfulness. Now, you can't help but contrast Lot and Abraham. We, we, see the, we see the two. Lot's a righteous man. Abraham's a righteous man. But Abraham's faith is so strong. Lot's faith is, is weak. Just, just not as strong there. But Abraham protected his family. So much so that he, he rescued Lot. Remember that? He, Took his men and rescued Lot from this, this king. And Lot was willing to give up his two daughters. And you see, Lot was influenced by the world. And he was being uh, led about. He was being tempted and, and held in a dangerous location because of this temptation. We see him tempted by this world system. And then we also see a con contrast with... He suffered the consequences of decisions. Of bad decisions. It's the consequences of bad decisions. Folks, we will reap what we sow. We may be believers, 
But we will reap what we sow. We have to be so careful. The, the decisions that we make sometimes are, are not good decisions. Now, we can't be too hard on Lot. He was a righteous man. But he didn't have the full revelation that we have today, does he? He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the practical Christian living that being taught in the New Testament of the putting on and the renewing of our mind and, and the putting off. He didn't have 1 John chapter 2. Let me remind you of that passage. 1 John chapter 2. John says that he warns us, Do not love the world nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the Father and love the world. It can't be done. If you love the world, love of the Father is not in you. He goes on to say, For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God, who does the will, not professes the will of God, but who does the will of God, he's the one that's going to abide. He will abide. Lot didn't have that. We have this passage. And it's a command. Do not love the world. You cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. Now, we know that there's a gravitational pull. And that's why John wrote the command. Don't love the world. There's this pull toward uh, for believers to be pulled toward the world. We don't love the world, but man, it is a temptation for us. We're freed from sin. We don't have those shackles anymore. Sin doesn't control us. But, but there, there can be a, an allure there. That's why John says it's a command. Do not love the world. A lot didn't have that. He wasn't, he wasn't informed as we are today. And the world flirts with us. The world woos us. With every commercial, folks. You, you have Satan. He, he, is, he is coming after us to tempt us. And then, of course, we know that we're not perfect yet. We still live in this sinful flesh, this sinful body. We make headway. We, we progress. We press on. A lot didn't have any of these things, but we do. Lot didn't have the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He didn't have Romans chapter 7 and Paul's inner struggle with sin, the inward sin of his own heart. He didn't have that, but we have that. And we need to act on that. We have to live in light of God's Word. We have to be informed or we're going to be sucked into the world, the world system. And we have to be so careful because sin can hold us. It can hold us in, in dangerous places. Maybe not with shackles. Maybe not tied to us. We're freed from that, Romans chapter 6. But it can still hold us just with that allure. A weak kind of magnet, if you will. And so we have to use Sodom and Gomorrah. We have to use this, this, uh, this dramatic story as, a, as an alarm. As a warning for us to not play around with sin now what we've seen about sin it had held this city it routinely nightly 
every night. The lust of these men. It held those men by its lust. Groping for the door. The son-in-law by deceit. Sin held Lot in this allure, this hesitation that he had to leave the city. It held Lot's wife in a, in a nostalgic look back, in a, in a wishful, longing kind of look. But you know what? It didn't hold Abraham. But you know what held Abraham? His concern for his nephew. He'd go out and stand and, and look. Rose up early in the morning. Wonder what's going on in Lot's life. Wonder what's happening. And what, is, what does it remind you of? It reminds you of the prodigal son, doesn't it? Prodigal son, the father would go out at the edge of, the, of his property there and just look for his son. When is he going to come back? It reminds you of, of God Himself just pleading, begging, hoping. Folks, we are not of this world We're out of place in this world. And there should be a sharp contrast with our life. We should live a righteous life. We should not be in the the gray areas of of the the world's system. And the believer is not enslaved to sin. So we need to know that. The believer is not enslaved. We're not handcuffed to sin. But I tell you what, it can still hold us, can't it? With the allure, with the temptation, with the draw, with the attraction. But it's where we put our focus. It's where we put our foot. It's what you want to look at. And Paul says, set your mind on the things above. Not on the things of this earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, it's a good reminder. Just that the danger of sin, it's so powerful. And we take it sometimes so lightly. We take it for granted. We... We just don't, don't really even think about it. But Lord, help us to become more aware. Even, even the smallest little glance back. Even the smallest little hesitation. The, the smallest little allure. Lord, help us to, help it to not grip us. Lord, lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. Lord, help our focus to be on you. On Christ. On our home in heaven. Lord we long for that day. We thank you for saving us. Lord we thank you for Christ. Who died on the cross to save us. We, we thank you for that entrance. Into, into Christ. Through belief. And faith in him. And now. And now we have. Now we have a, a life. A new life. That longs for heaven. We thank you for the, the gospel. The power that it has to change a life. Lord, we would be just like the world. There would be no difference between us and the world if you had not changed our life. And in that, we see the power of the gospel. And we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for allowing us to see these things in your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.